Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, taking us through Acts chapter 3, asking the questions, why and when does Jesus choose to heal? Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you're inspired by the ideas. When I started this lesson this week, I, uh, it's about a crippled guy getting healed, right? And so you jump into it and you start getting pretty excited because you think, wow, you know, Jesus heals, right? He's a, he's a healer and uh, he's not even there. So he's going to work through these guys and heal these people. And it gets you, it gets you pretty excited. And so uh, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I started reading about healing then. And so I went on a kind of a, a whole weekend of reading about healing. And it kind of opened my eyes to some things. So I'll share a little of that with you here as these guys grab their seats. It's an interesting space, the whole healing space is, isn't it? But I know for me, when I got to the, I got to the place where my head said, man, I, I should be praying more for my friends to heal. I should be more enthusiastic about wanting to he- people to heal. The more I read, the more my heart started to hurt because I thought of one thing, and it was a good friend of mine named Kathy that died eight years ago. And that was where I kind of got stuck. Um, so Kathy was a family friend. Her and her husband, Don, lived right behind us. And they raised their kids with Susie and I. Uh, they had uh, three daughters, um, and they lived right behind us. And we, we got to do life together, honestly. Um, they homeschooled. We homeschooled. Uh, our kids were their kids' age. I mean, we were all very, very close, and we loved them dearly. And eight years ago, um, Kathy was 53, and out of nowhere, she got a cough. And the next thing you know, she's in the hospital and we're all sitting in Houston, Texas, and she's dying, and we're not gonna see her ever again. And uh, we're all saying goodbye, I mean, literally. And she's a believer, and we knew where she was going. And, but man, I'm looking at her little girls, and I'm looking at my boys, and I'm just like, I can't, I can't handle it. I mean, I, I was broken. It tore me up for a long, long time, and it still does. I mean, I had to do her eulogy, you know? I mean, it was terrible, you guys. And I just could not wrap my head around that. I'm just like, how could God not heal this woman? And I'm telling you, if you think Christians pray for healing, we did, you guys. I mean, we prayed. We went all in. There wasn't anything we didn't do. We laid on her. We put our hands on her. We cried over her. We sang over her. I mean, we, there was nothing left. We left nothing out. There was no lack of faith in that room, you guys. Not a penny left. We loved her dearly. And God didn't heal her. God took her home. And something in me changed in that. And as I started studying this thing on healing, I realized that. I'm like, God doesn't heal everybody. He just doesn't. And the Bible doesn't say that. And there's people that say it does. And it does not say that. And I just want you to be clear on that. God never says he heals everybody, and he never promises to heal everybody, and he never promises to eliminate suffering either, not anywhere, except when we get to heaven. And he makes it really clear, this isn't heaven. 
This is not it. And the suffering that you see and the death that you see is because you're not in heaven and he's not living here. His spirit is here and it resides in us, but this isn't his home. And what he wants us to know is he put us here to do two things, to help each other get through the suffering, to walk with each other as we suffer together and to make daggone sure as many as we can will get to heaven. Those are the two things we're called to do, you guys. And nowhere in there is there a promise that you will be healed and that your suffering will be eliminated. Nowhere, except unless you believe in Jesus and you go to heaven and that promise you can count on. In my father's house, there are many rooms and I promise you I'm going there to take and make a place for you and I will come back and take you there. And in that house of my father's, there's no more tears. There's no more dying. There's no suffering and there's no pain. And that's where that happens, but not here, not here. And that got really clear to me in this lesson. And so I pray tonight, you guys, if I do anything well, it's to help you see that we might need to let go of this idea that somehow if I pray hard enough and if I have enough faith that I can make pain and suffering go away and I can heal anybody, I'm hoping I can help you see that that's not the message in this lesson then the message is, in fact, that Jesus Christ heals so that many will be saved. Jesus Christ heals so that many will be saved, and that you'll see that in this healing tonight. And that's what he's pointing us to. We're going to go through it in four quick divisions, verses 1 through 5, where Peter and John are seen working together, verses 6 through 10, where we see the healing of an unsaved man, 11 through 17, Peter's second indictment of the Jews, and finally, 18 through 26, where he calls them to repent. Four quick sections. So let's open with a word of prayer. Let's ask God to jump into our hearts and our heads. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we have 20 minutes to hear from you. And so, Lord, I'm just asking that you make these the best 20 minutes of our week. Give us the best you have, and we'll give you the best we have, Father. Help us put away all that's in our head. Help our phones be silent. Help our hearts be open, our minds be receptive. And Lord, help me not fumble the ball. Help my words get through the way you've designed them to be. In your name I pray, Jesus, amen. I got stuck in, in, uh, in the first section, right when we got into verses one through five. It said, one day Peter and John, and I froze. I didn't get past that, and I literally wrote pages on friendship after that. I have a whole lesson on friendship that I literally got that far and I just stopped. And I just sat at my computer and said, what's a friend? How do you make a friend? How do you get rid of a friend? How do you hurt a friend? How do you find a friend? I mean, I literally, and I wrote all these questions and started researching all this stuff about friendship because I realized Peter and John were friends. And it really mattered. It really mattered. Because later we see Peter and John, and all over, the, all over this, this section here, you see Jesus paired them together. When they wanted to prepare Passover, he sent Peter and John. When we see them coming to the tomb to look for Jesus' dead body, who goes there? Peter and John. When he starts to go out and put the disciples to go out and work, who do we see? Peter and John. They're a team, you guys. They're together. 
And the part that really caught my eyes, I started going back and going, these guys are always together. Every time I see them, they're together, Peter and John. And it warmed my heart. And I started thinking about the friends that have been in my life. And I started thinking about the men who've poured into me and the different ways that happened. And not all of them were really close and not all of them were perfect. In fact, one of the guys that brought me really to a faith in Christ, our friendship's really fallen apart, you know? But I don't lament that anymore because I see that God's brought so many different men into my life for different seasons and at different times and in different ways. And he repairs that. He fixes that. He doesn't leave you there. He brings lots of men into your life and you can overcome those broken friendships. And John and Peter were kind of a funny pair. The funniest part I thought was when John writes about their race to the tomb. Did anybody read that? I pointed the scripture out to you and Twice, John says, I beat him. I beat Peter to the tomb. He doesn't say it once. He says it twice. And it's recorded for all eternity. So when we get to heaven, we're going to see Peter and John like, Peter, he beat you. And he's like, yeah, can you believe he wrote that? Like, this is insane. And that in itself gives you some warmth, doesn't it? Because don't you have some friends like that in your life? You're just like, you like to compete and you just love that. That, that struggle, you know, there's just some fun in it, isn't there? You know, you're lifting weights with a guy and you can put one more set on it. You're just like, ah, and you beat him, you know, and you're just like, yes, right? Or you're playing basketball and you're hitting the guy or whatever. You're, I'm not a musician, so I don't know. How do you compete musically? Is it, can you do that? I don't know. Maybe he sings better or something. I don't know. I'm, everybody gets tired of my sports analogy. Sorry. But I don't know anything else. Yeah. There's another side to competition I found, though. And it's not good. And you also see that in Peter. And you see that a lot more in him than John. And this is the part I thought that stood out to me as I read this. And it's like, in John 21, 20, Jesus looks at Peter. Because Peter's sitting there looking. And he's just been told by Jesus what's going to happen to him. And Jesus looks at him. He goes, if I want John to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? Because Peter was looking and he had just found out that he had said something about John maybe staying alive and never dying or something. He's like, what's up with that? And he's like, that's none of your business, Peter. Stop competing with John. He called him out on it because that competition was unhealthy. And I found that's actually what kills friendships. There's a healthy competition that builds friendships But then there's this other unspoken competition that kills friendships. And you know what I'm talking about. When you first meet some guys and everybody's pulling out their trophies and they're, you know, looking a little better and they're, you got stories and the story sounds a little better than it ought to, you know, and you're like, really? Seriously? Your job's that good, huh? You know, I mean, I was listening to Zach one day telling me how many days off he had. And I'm like, really? Like, you don't work? And he's like, barely, you know? Like, geez, Manili, we do that, don't we, when we first meet guys? And it's a real turnoff, isn't it? Like, it really sets you apart. And I think what Jesus was saying to Peter, stop doing that, man. Like, that's that's tearing you and John apart. Stop being that competitive. Stop doing that. That's not good for you building friendships and relationships. And now you see Peter and John after Peter's been called out with this deep bond serving together. Guys, I think this is the key point. God will change you as a saved brother and he'll get you to stop competing with each other and start working together to serve him if you let him.
but you got to start serving together to stop competing, right? You got to decide that competition isn't as important as serving is. And when you start serving together and you get in the trenches and you got something to lose together and you're grinding together, something changes and you don't want to beat each other anymore. You want to win together. That's really a big deal. So who have you met in the last few months that might possibly be open to your friendship that you could approach instead of with a competitive spirit, with one of companionship? Who could be that guy in your life right now that you could maybe approach that way? And remember, friendships aren't always glamorous. They're not always clean. They're not always perfect. And as guys, we're, well, this is not our wheelhouse, right? We're not overly good at this thing. So cut some guys some grace, right? I might not approach you perfectly. I might not be the best guy. I don't text you as frequently as you want me to. I don't say things. Just relax a little bit. We all need friends, you guys. And none of us are good at it. So just let it be a little sloppy, huh? It'll be okay. But you'll have a lot more friends if you're a little nicer, right? And you're just a little more graceful. So who's God got in your life that he's letting, leading to you right now that you might ask to join you and be part of your life? In verses 6 to 10, we see this healing of this unsaved, crippled guy. He's 40 years old. We read later on, he's 40 years old. He's been in this place for years. He's got a congenital birth defect, which means it's not something he got injured. He was born with it. He's Jewish. He's not a disciple. Everybody's seen this guy here for years. He sits at the beautiful gate. It's one of the most prominent places. He's been there a lot. He's been there a long, long time. They heal this guy, John and Peter, at the same time. Look at this guy together. And they look at him, and they know they're supposed to heal this guy. That's how connected these two guys are. Holy Spirit's got these two guys bound together. They speak into this guy, and they say, we don't have what you want, but we can do something that you need. We can heal you. And they heal this guy. They tell him to stand up. He's healed instantaneously. And it's done in the name of Jesus Christ. Healing is done. This is an unsaved man. Healing is done with unsaved people in dramatic ways in the name of Jesus to demonstrate salvation. That's what it's meant to do, and it's to draw other unsaved people to Jesus. That's its purpose. And you'll see this. If you really study the Bible, you'll see this over and over. This pattern is repeated over and over. Unsaved people healed in dramatic ways to draw unsaved people to Jesus because it demonstrates his power to save men. That's why he does this. It's a demonstration of his power. It's not to heal the person. It's to demonstrate his power, not to heal the person, but to demonstrate his power, that he has the power to save. God doesn't always heal people just to heal them. In fact, Jesus walked by that beggar many times and never healed him, ever. He saw that guy for years and never healed the guy. So why? Because God had a plan that didn't involve him being healed at that time. There's a plan for the healing. God doesn't always heal. Jesus said in Matthew 26, he knows he's going to the cross. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as my will, but your will. He's begging God to take his own affliction away and God doesn't. Is that not proof God does not always heal? His own son asked him, and he said, no, you got to go through it, man. God's got a plan. You don't see it. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's the wrong plan, does it? It's the right plan. It's God's plan. He doesn't always share his plan. You don't know why he doesn't heal. You don't know. 
You just don't know, but this you do know. He puts men in our lives to help us get through the suffering that we're going through. How long was that man put at that spot? 40 years, by who? His friends carried him to that spot year after year after year after year. That part of the verse always gets overlooked, doesn't it? These people carried him there. Friends, there every year, every day, taking him to that same spot. Nobody talks about those folks, but that's what we're supposed to do, you guys. We are called to be the guys to carry the hurting and suffering people and put them in a place where they can find healing, right? Or just some help with their suffering. That's the real hidden gem of this whole piece of the story. Yeah, God healed the guy, but how about the guys that were taking care of him and loving him and watching over him? That's what we can do to help people that are suffering, you guys. So you gotta look at your past and say, what is in my past that gives me a heart for people that are like the beggar? Who do I care about who's suffering and hurting and what do I do with their pain and suffering? You see it all over the place, you guys. There's people hurting all around you. The question is, do you respond to that or do you just say, let me pray for your healing? Well, maybe God's never gonna heal them and he's just expecting you to be their friend for the rest of their life and sit there and walk through that pain with them forever. Maybe that's what all we're supposed to do, but we don't. We're waiting for the miraculous healing. How will God allow the pain of your past to be used to open your heart to another man who's suffering? How will he use the pain of your past to open your heart so that you see the suffering of another person and join them in the suffering? without any intent or belief that God's going to heal or take it away. Would you join in on that? Because that's what the calling's for, and that's what those men did. Week after week, day after day, month after month, they put him there, they put him there, they put him there. Jesus walked by, and finally God heals him. That is powerful. And then what happens when the guy's healed? One of the coolest parts of the story. Guy gets healed, and what's he do? He starts screaming and yelling. They're in the temple. They're during prayer time. There's hundreds of thousands of people, and he starts jumping up and down, screaming and yelling. Normally, I would do that right now, but I'm feeling a little sedate tonight, so I'm not going to demonstrate that. But think about it. This guy's getting big-time air. He's, they've known him since he was birthed. He couldn't walk, and now he's getting airborne. He's doing the Michael Jordan, right? He's elevating. He's up, he's swinging, he's screaming, he's yelling high fives, he's going ballistic. And they're all like, what? And the people are blown away by what they're seeing. Blown away. So the question is, when God does things like that in your life, what's your reaction? Do you celebrate like that? Because he's doing stuff like that with you all the time. All the time. And do you celebrate? Are you jumping up and down? Are you going skyrocket crazy? Ah, what's going on, man? Do you walk in at night with your wife and go, you won't believe what happened? God's done some amazing things. And why do we not do that? Here's why for most of us, because we're not anywhere near where God's at work. We haven't relied on him at all that day. We've not made ourselves so dependent on him that when he moves, we're just like, wow, he did it again. I'm so dependent on him, it's just, I can't, I can't move. I watched Kyle's little baby. That little thing can't do anything without her mom. She's helpless. And so are we without the power of God. But we simply don't recognize it. We somehow believe our power is what controls everything. And he's saying, you don't need to do that. Get helpless around me and then watch me work. 
And when you see me, you're going to be like, that was God. That was God. Holy cow, that was God. Right? And then you're going to get airborne, right? You're going to be like, whoa, jumping up and down. Like, man, look at you. You're all hyped up. You're like, yeah, but did you see what he did? And people are like, that was not that big of a deal. Well, that was not big of a deal for you. That was huge for me. So stop worrying about what other people think and celebrate these things like this guy did. So how are you going to rely on Jesus this week? How will you rely on him so much this week that you'll have that kind of celebration at the end of the week? Because you saw miracle after miracle, him solving all your problems, fixing the broken stuff in your life, healing things that need to be healed. Will you rely on that much this week? Because if you will, you're going to have a lot to celebrate. In Peter's sermon, he starts again and he indicts the Jews one more time. This is the second time he goes down this thing. He starts this second sermon and he goes in to indict these, these Jewish folks, these Jewish leaders to let them know what's happened. And uh, he makes it really clear. And they ask him, they're astonished by what power? Who, how did you heal this man? And they're looking at him like, are you, I mean, are you people kidding me? We did not heal this guy. Are you nuts? We did not heal him. It's not us. The guy you murdered, that's the guy that healed him. Remember the guy you murdered? You murdered him. You murdered him. You people murdered him. He was the king of kings, the God, the anointed one, the holy Messiah, the Christ. He's the son. He's the one you've been waiting for. That guy, you killed him. That's who healed him, not us. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. Peter and John said, we were just simply the vessels God used to help heal this guy. But it is not us. It is through the name of Jesus Christ that that happened. And so the thing you see here is people get really stuck on this. This is a lot of guys making a lot of money manipulating this text, right? A lot of people. These guys did not do anything. They simply took what God gifted them with, which is the ability to speak in the name of Jesus Christ, to heal these, this man. They were given this gift to speak in the name of Jesus, the healing over this man. And it was the faith that God gave this man that healed this man. It was the faith that Jesus gave him that healed this man. He makes that crystal clear. And you see lots of people in the world proclaiming they have the gift of healing. And people bring people to them by the thousands to heal these people. And most of it is a scam. Most of it's fake and phony and it's guys flying in jets with hair and suits and weird clothes and doing strange stuff and hitting people and people are flying everywhere. I mean, go watch some of this stuff. It's the worst stuff you've ever seen. And they're scamming God. They're getting rich on God. And it's wrong. It's really wrong, you guys. Because it does one thing and it points to them and not to Jesus. And anytime Jesus heals, it's to save the lost. It's to reach the unsaved. It's not about the saved. It's about the unsaved. His passion is to reach the lost. He heals to reach the lost. He gives you spiritual gifts to help us reach the lost. He has one focus, to get as many into heaven as he can because eternity is a long time. This is nothing here. This will end quickly. So he gifts you to get people into heaven. He gives you gifts and abilities. So the question is, what gifts has he given you that you're using to get rich, to be famous, to make a name for yourself, to build a big house, to have nice cars? What are you doing that's making your life super good that you're not using to help bring Jesus to people? 
He gave you a lot, a lot, and gifted you with gifts and abilities and tools and things, just loaded you up and said, get out there and help people know my name. And we say, no, I thought that was all for me, God. I, I thought you gave that all for me. And he's like, that's not why I gave you that. No different than Peter and John were given that ability to heal that man. That was not for them. It was not to point to them. It was not to make them famous. And that's what they're looking at this crowd going, this is not about us. You're missing the point. We healed them to point to Jesus because Jesus will save you too. That's what we do this for. So how have you been given gifts? What gifts have you been given to make you look good and to get rich? Or how can you use those gifts to point people to Jesus? How can you use what you've been given to point people to Jesus? And lastly, we see Peter's call to repentance. 2,000 are saved. He goes through and describes how these people treated Jesus. And then he says, you have to repent to come to Christ. Puts the two together. He did that in the previous sermon. Here's what you did. Here's how you get healed. This is what he does. He always puts them together. This is what you did. This is how you get healed. This is, how you, this is what you did. This is how you get healed. The question is, what message do you often hear in church? Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to take care of you. Jesus wants you to be happy. Jesus wants you to have life to the full. Jesus wants everything to be good for you. Jesus wants to answer all your prayers. So when people come to Jesus under that premise, are they truly saved? And there's many that would say, including Jesus, no. In Matthew 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they only heard half the story. When you tell people the, the gospel story, you have to tell them the whole story. You have to make sure people are convinced that they can see the evil in their hearts so clearly that they know there's no way they can fix it. They absolutely have no possible way to fix what is broken in their soul. If you don't paint the picture that clearly, they'll never come to Christ under the right reasons. They'll always come for him simply for what he gives them. I just want to be healed. And when I'm done being healed, I've got all I want. I'll move on to the next thing. That's American. That's Western. And that's how we are. We're consumers of Jesus. We're not followers of Jesus. And there's a big difference, you guys. You've got to look in your heart. We were sitting there talking last night about the Willow Creek thing. And I got to tell you guys, I've never felt so much conviction of myself as I listened to story of Bill Hybels and I kept thinking that could be me. That could be me. When you really stop to think about it and you are so clear that I've got so much stinking evil in my heart, it's right there. I can look at girls that way. I can think about stealing like that. I could easily do that. I could kill that guy tomorrow. I mean, how many times have you had those kinds of thoughts? How many? How many? And how many times a day do you have those kinds of thoughts? Think about what's in your head and in your heart. Seriously. And when you get clear on that, and you stand there and stare at yourself in the mirror, and you go, dude, you are one stinking evil dude, man. Like, I have no way I can fix this. That's when you go, oh my gosh, there's Jesus. 
can't believe it. But if you don't buy that, you're coming to Jesus for the wrong reason, you guys. And you got to really wonder, am I saved? How do you know which message you're following? How do you know? If you want to come to Jesus Christ tonight, that's the premise on which you come. And I would love, because I think there's guys in this room right now who don't know Jesus that way. And if you don't, stay after and let's pray together and let's get on our knees and ask Christ to be our Lord and Savior knowing we are evil in our heart and there's no way to get it out unless we have him do it. And we'll never enter the gates of heaven without that. It will not happen. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. I have a good friend that lives in Fishers. He's a real good friend. He works in Zambia a lot. He has a business here making labels, and he works in Zambia a ton. And they've worked there for 10 years. They've got a honey business. They've got 6,000 families that are all in their honey collective. They're cooperative. They raise over a half a million pounds of honey a year, which is about a million dollars worth of honey in Zambia. It's a really good business. And the reason they started the business 10 years ago was so that the, the, the missionary that lives there did not have to come to America two or three times a year to raise money for the thing that he needed to do and that he had a passion for, which was to bring the salvation message through pastors and evangelists to Zambians. And he had a school where he would teach evangelists and pastors how to do that. And he needed money for that. And he found out the best way to do it is to start a business that would generate its own money and then he could train and get people to reach the lost. So when you go interview the families and ask them why he started the honey business, what do you think they'd tell you? Well, it's to help all of our families, of course. And he would say, that's true, but it's not my primary purpose. The reason I started the honey business was so that I could have the money to train people to reach the lost Zambians of Zambia. So don't be confused. The honey business is not about giving your fun family a better life. It's to help people know Jesus Christ. And that's the message tonight. Peter and John did not heal that lame person so that the lame guy could walk. They healed that lame guy so that the lost would be saved. <music> 